This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm here with Chelsea. Hi, Chelsea. Hi, Annie. How are you? Good. So excited to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. This is awesome. So <laughs> why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning in your journey? Where, where did it all start for you with alcohol? Sure. Um, I would say throughout my 20s, I kind of yo-yoed with alcohol. I think that's kind of a good term for me to use. My, I would drink, go through periods where I was drinking quite a bit and then go through periods where I wasn't drinking at all. Um, I had two kids while in my 20s, so it kind of bounced around with that also. Um, of course, after having kids, it looks like you know, you're not going out anymore, but then it transitions to drinking at home. And, um, that's kind of where I saw the, the mommy wine culture come in, um, and drinking on the weekends, it was like, okay, I've had a stressful week. So now I'm going to try to relax. And that of course involved alcohol. Um, I went through a divorce also in my twenties. So then I started going out with my friends on the weekends and like girls nights. And it was, to me felt normal, you know, normal alcohol that you would drink in your twenties. Um, eventually I remarried. And then whenever I did remarry, I remarried, um, into a family that kind of did the same type of thing. Drinking was like always something that we did on the weekends. Um, and it was at home too. So, um, we would either go over to my in-laws or they would come over to our house and we would drink on the weekends, all of us, just like as a family. So it was kind of just something we did to spend time with each other. Um, yeah. But despite all of that, I, my life just felt so stressful. Um, it was like, physically, I didn't feel good. I felt like, you know, I, was having headaches. I was having anxiety and depression. Like I wasn't sleeping very good. I, there was all kinds of things. I just didn't feel good. And like, I'm always the person that I'm like, if there's a problem, like I want to solve this problem <laughs> and I want to get down to the bottom of it and figure out, um, what's causing it and how I can fix it. So I, a few years prior, I had transition to a plant-based diet kind of for health reasons. And it was sort of the same thing. Like my stomach always hurt. I have headaches. Like what can be causing this? And I know what I put into my body, like has such a huge effect on how I'm feeling. So I kind of realized at that point in my life, like, wow, you know, I changed my diet because I felt like crap and I'm still putting all of this alcohol into my body, despite eating vegetables all day. 
So I just felt like this is so counterproductive. Like I need to try something else. And alcohol was kind of the next thing on my list of important things in my life at that time. So I was like, you know what, let me just try and see what happens if I cut it out. But it was very hard because so much of my life revolved around alcohol with my family and my husband at the time. So there was also the side of me that was like, okay, if I do this, like, what am I going to do on the weekends? And they're going to be having all this fun without me. And so that was something that was also um, really hard and kind of like took a, a mental a big mental strain on me was deciding to actually do that. Um, once I finally did, I really was like, where do I even start? Like, do I just quit drinking cold Turkey? Like what, how do I start this journey? So, um, I am huge on Facebook groups. So I got on Facebook and found a, uh, sober moms group. So I think I was in there for probably like a week, just kind of reading and, um, just listening to kind of everyone else's stories and what they were going through. And I still was like, not knowing where to start. And um, someone actually recommended the alcohol experiment. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. Like, I love to challenge myself. And this is like me saying, okay, for 30 days, like you're gonna stop what you're doing and like, look at, look at your actions and look at how alcohol is actually affecting you. And let's see if you can make these 30 days. <laughs> so um, that was really, I think just the fact that I was like making it a challenge for myself, that I think was a big, it had a big impact on me being able to get through those days and take it seriously along the 30 days. Um, at the same time, me being excited, my husband was not excited. Um, and I kind of realized, you know, like to him, this was taking away his drinking buddy because our weekends as soon as Friday evening came like we started drinking and then we would do the same on Saturday night and like that was just how our weekends went so I think once he realized like she's not going to be doing this with me anymore you know um he was not happy <laughs> um and I remember him saying also like he didn't want this to bring something uh between us so that was kind of like eye-opening to me because I was like well that's my fear and that's his fear also maybe for different re reasons but um it definitely that definitely made it a little bit more difficult too um but despite that I was like you know what I need to do this for multiple reasons my health the kids had been around you know this whole time kind of watching um my relationship with alcohol because they were uh 10 and 11 at the time. So, um, you know, they're kind of at an age where you can definitely talk to them about things and they are, kids are so like, they just take in things that we don't even know they're taking in. So I just kind of realized also like, you know, I'm setting an example for them and I don't want them to see this kind of relationship with alcohol and think that this is normal. Even though society says this is normal, I want them to know that it's okay for you to take another route. Um, so I was really excited to start. And I remember um, on day one, that's another thing is my journal. I bought a journal separately um, just to kind of take notes in and, 
every day I would just kind of write how I was feeling. And I love that because now I still can go back to that journal and it's like watching and reading my story all over again from day one to 30. Um, That's so cool. But, but day one, I do remember um, having to make a list of why I drink and that list was so long. I felt like I had, you know, I drank to relax. I drank to spend time with my husband. I, and I wrote every reason I could think of. And then the second question was, why did I want to drink less? And that list was even longer. Um, and like, th there was so many reasons, but um, the main one, obviously my kids were seeing that and then my health. And I just felt like I was wasting so much time um, on alcohol. And I, I always felt like, you know, the so much to do, so little time thing was always me. And I was like, there's, you know, three days in a row, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday that are just totally wasted because I'm drinking or I'm hungover. Yeah. So I, I kind of had all of these things that I wanted to accomplish and like get done and I couldn't do it. And I was making all these excuses and I was like, well, maybe if I wasn't hung over, I could, you know, go run my mile today. Or there was tons of things. Um, but I, um, I just kind of started going through the alcohol experiment and, um, it was, eye-opening for me like I kept having these I like to call them aha moments where I was like you know oh my gosh I've been sleeping so bad like I really haven't gotten a good night's sleep in so long and the chapter that I read on sleep was like me to a T I was like oh my gosh it all makes sense now so and it was like I had those moments with the information about sleep and like my anxiety was through the roof. So that was super eye opening for me. Um, and then just like how temporary alcohol and like it's feelings that it was giving me were. Mm -hmm. So I, I went through all these aha moments and along this time, while I was going through the experiment, my husband was still drinking. Um, at the, at our house. So there was some weekends where he would be, you know, drinking at home and I would still have to, you know, take care of him and make sure everything was okay. Cause it was a lot of times it was the, the blackout drunk phase mm -hmm. and, you know, keep in mind the kids are still here. So they're seeing all this stuff. Um, and I didn't know until later down the road, but my daughter actually told me that, um, on weekends, or on Friday nights, she would just spend the night in her room. She didn't want to come out because she was afraid that he was going to throw up. Oh, um, so that, which I didn't know that until later, but that was like so eye-opening for me. And that like, you know, really struck me because I was like, you know, this affects them so much more than we think. Like even, you know, the things that we think that, are affecting them there. It's so much deeper than what we know. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, he continued to, to drink my entire experiment. So that really in the beginning, it, it was kind of hard just, uh, being around him while he was drinking and 
you know, I was like, oh, I want to drink because I want to hang out with him, you know, and I want, this is our time to spend time together, you know, but I didn't really realize at the time how like not effective that time together was, how us drinking, you know, was not quality time. Right. Um, so I kept going and I, uh, was near the end of my experiment and uh, oh yeah it was mother's day and um, he was still drinking and I uh, he ended up asking me if I was gonna continue with my sobriety after the challenge was over because I was almost done um, and I can remember telling him like I have learned so much from this experiment like I don't want to go back to old habits you know this is like I could have made a humongous list of all the positive things that I had seen come out of this 30 days you know um, but it was like the the moment that I said like yeah I'm gonna try and stick with this um, you know not drinking it was like that was kind of the switch for him and his response was like well I, this isn't gonna work um, and that was hard to hear. I mean, along the 30 days, there had been times where he had actually, you know, uh, told me that alcohol was more important than me and our family. Um, and that too, just like seeing those kind of things, it really like brought out to me how powerful alcohol can be for some people. Um, but uh, he ended up just asking me at that time, like, unless you can be okay with me drinking like this, then, um, you know, like our marriage is not going to work. And it was, I had to like, stop for a second. And, like, let's think about, you know, cause this can go, uh, one of two ways. Um, and I really, my kids are always the first thing on my mind, but in that moment, that was really like where my thoughts were because they had been seeing this, both of our relationship with alcohol, you know, for years. And I was like, I want to teach them something different. I don't want them to, you know, go with this way of, of a relationship with alcohol eventually when they're adults. Um, and then I was also like, you know, would I want my daughter in a relationship like this, you know, because if I say, yeah, we'll just stick it out and I'll just stay around, um, you know, it's still, they're still going to be seeing that I'm probably going to be miserable. Um, so I, uh, just told him like, okay, you know, I guess this isn't going to work. Um, so of course, those next few weeks, like it was tough. Um, divorce is always tough. Um, relationships are always tough, but, um, I just kind of knew, like I had it in my mind at that moment. And like, I had developed so much like knowledge and strength from these 30 days. And like, it seems so short, like 30 days, but it's like, this was life-changing for me in 30 days. Um, and it just, I, it was very tough those first few weeks, but I knew, you know, eventually like the kids and I were going to be so much better off. 
Um, so sorry, that was really long, but that. Yeah, that's so great. I mean, what a, what an incredible story and wow. Like it's, it's interesting, this construct of marriage, because we think, well, in some ways, I think we've been taught to value marriage as the Institute mm-hmm. above other things. Right. Yeah. And I think what you have done is you've actually chosen the harder path in the moment for mm-hmm. the easier path later. And, and I'm reminded of, you know, there's an adage and it says easy now, hard later, hard now, easy later. Right. Mm. And I think that that's just so descriptive of the choice that you have made. And, and, and by the way, it's, it's not to say that, you know, people can't change, but Absolutely. just having that knowledge that, you know, you wanted a different life for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first story that I've heard that, and I know with every story, there's so much else going on, obviously like alcohol was the catalyst for yes. probably a lot of other things that were mm-hmm. also happening, but it's definitely yeah. where it's like, yeah, like you have to accept this level, um, or not. And yeah, fascinating. Mm -hmm. I, um, Brian, my husband sent me a quote this morning because I was like feeling very out of my comfort zone. And I just, I want to read it to you because I feel like it's so appropriate for what you just said, which is it, um, it says what holds us back in life is the invisible architecture of fear. It keeps us in our comfort zones, which are in truth, the least safe places in which to live. Indeed, the greatest risk in life is taking no risks. But every time we do that, which we fear, we take back the power that fear has stolen from us. For on the other side of our fears lives our strength. And every time we step into the discomfort of growth and progress, we become more free. The more fears we walk through, the more power we reclaim. And in this way, we can grow both fearless and powerful and thus are able to live the lives of our dreams. And I just had never heard it stated before that there's danger in staying in our comfort zone. And I was thinking that it's nowhere truer than with the staying with the comfort of alcohol, right? Like there's danger in that. I mean, for your husband, your ex-husband, he has lost his family because he's like unwilling to, you know, yeah. push out his comfort zone. And, um, and for you, you've, you've disrupted, you know, like the entire life is different because you've chosen something that isn't comfortable, but that you feel in your heart is the right thing. And yeah, it's just really amazing because I think I always think about like, okay, growth happens on the other side of our comfort zone and it's good to push yourself and you want to do that and you want to be out of your comfort zone. It's important, but I've never thought about like, what this says is that our comfort zones are in truth, the least safe places in which to live. And I'm like, wow, that's true. We don't pay the price for a while. And that's why it has the illusion of safety, but we do pay the price, right? We do become the person looking around our life. Who's like, everybody else is doing something. And I'm just here because I stayed comfortable, right? But now I'm wildly uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so, yeah, that's very powerful. I resonate with that a lot. Like there's been not just this situation, but there's been a lot of situations in my life where it was like, you, you know, have two choices of 
of things to do. You can stay comfortable or not. And I can look back now and be like, wow, like good thing I got out of my comfort zone <laughs> and took the other way. Yeah. I love that so much. Mm -hmm. So how is it, how have things been? Um, good, really good. Um, my kids and I are, um, great. Like I, I feel like when changes like this happen, it's like, I'm kind of like, we were just saying you, you have choices. You can just like sit in your pain and your, you know, when you're down or you can take it and build on that. So I was kind of determined to, to build from where I was. Cause that was a really low point, you know? Um, and for the kids too, it's like, I want my kids to see that even if you go through something that's not so good, like you can come out great on the other side, but you have got to, to try and you've got to want that and just keep moving forward. Um, that's one of my favorite quotes. Keep moving forward is just one of my favorite things. Um, because no matter what happens, you just keep going. Um, and that's what we did. And, and things are really good now. We're in a really, really good place. That's awesome. Uh, the other thing that I just want to highlight from your story that I think is so incredibly powerful is the moment, and I'd love for you to talk more about this, but the moment that you had where you really thought about your daughter being in that sort of relationship and, and just realizing that like, as a parent, the best thing that we can do is model, right? Like I have heard it talked about, I think Glennon Doyle talks about this idea of like not being a martyr, but we think being a martyr as a parent is a thing we should do. We should sacrifice everything for our kids. We should like, you know, put our own needs aside. We should, you know, not, not do what we want to do for years for the sake of doing what they want to do. And so, um, but then you think about, well, how would I want my kid to live? Would I want them to live as a martyr? Would I want them to live putting themselves last? And you're like, no. So actually I need to be a model. Yeah. Instead of, you know, and, and I think just the awareness you had in thinking about, about becoming a model for your daughter um, specifically. Yeah, I'd love for you to talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've always heard um, quotes like that. Like, you know, when you're in a relationship, make sure you think about if you would want your daughter in that, that kind of relationship. Um, so that for me was like, I'd really just realized, you know, I had gone through so much um, like pain in our relationship. And I was like, if this was my daughter, I would be so sad for her, you know, like, and I would want her to get out of this relationship and move on to something else because she deserves you know, to have a great relationship and to not be put after alcohol in a relationship. So that for me was kind of um, where that came from, just knowing that I would want something better for her. And of course, she's looking up to me. I don't want her to think that, you know, I promote staying in a relationship where um, you are this low, you know, so that was kind of where that came from. I love that so much. It's so, it's so powerful. I think that when we just decide to do the hard thing, mm -hmm. then we, we do model the behavior we'd want for our children. Um, how, how is your relationship now with your ex? Um, 
we don't really speak. So it's been um, two years now since that. Um, and we kind of just went our separate ways after that. Like um, after that day, um, he came and got his stuff and then we didn't really speak after that, except for to, you know, move out things from the house and all that stuff. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that it's like, you know, I don't want certain people in my life, but it's like sometimes to get to where you want to be, like you have to know what kind of energy you want to keep around. And that just wasn't good for my energy and for the kids. So, yeah. um, but yeah, we're, we're doing great and like in such a good place. <laughs> I'm so happy about this. This is great. So tell me how, you know, switching gears, years, how is it to be kind of alcohol-free socially? Um, at first it was really scary. <laughs> I remember just thinking, um, you know, when, if I go out and like all these situations and it's like, sometimes looking back, I feel like everything we did just like revolved around alcohol or or maybe not revolved around but included it you know yeah. in some some way like I'm from Texas and we're huge on football so it's like football games always involve drinking beer and like going out to dinner you know um usually you have a drink with that and it's it was very hard to kind of figure out like my place in social situations without alcohol um but yeah. it it really has um been good it it like I said at first it was really hard and I was like okay eventually I started dating again and I'm like okay where am I going to go on a date that doesn't involve alcohol and like who am I going to go on a date with that's going to be like why you know okay with me not drinking so that was something new also it was just like oh my gosh, people are going to think I'm so boring. Like I'm vegan and I don't drink like, <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, but it's been good. It's been really good. You know, you find like, um, you find your people and you find people that, you know, love you for who you are and what you do and what you believe in and what's important to you. So that's been a really fun journey too. <laughs> that's so cool. That's great. Um, were there any super awkward dating moments where people are like, wait, what? You don't drink? Or was a lot of that kind of in your head? I think a lot of it was in my head because, you know, I would meet someone and I, I feel like I would almost be like, okay, before we get too close, let me go ahead and tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so it was almost like I was starting it off like that because I was like, I've dealt with enough like rejection already. So like, if you don't like this part of my lifestyle like let's just move on you know so um but no there was no one no one that was like oh my gosh you don't drink like that's terrible but um surprisingly a lot of people were like um you know that's powerful like you must be very strong willed you know to not drink because it's so Probably. big in society so it, it turned out to be a positive thing it's great to have like the filters in some way. I, my friend Myron, he always says like, the best thing you can do is have people not like you sooner. <laughs> the worst thing you can do is keep pretending that you're somebody else 
And then like they find out later and then both yeah. of them are crushed, right? Like, so yeah. there's, you know, billions of people. So like, just have the ones who are supposed to be for you, for you and like yeah. use whatever filters that you need. And so it, it is nice. I think that, so I, that's a very true story for so many people who are so afraid of dating. And then they realize like, wow, like I actually have this filter by which I'm either going to get one of two types of people, somebody who's also on their own journey or somebody who's like, it's such a non-issue or like not um, vital to them that they don't feel threatened yeah. by me. And, and both of those are really great outcomes, right? And so mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting how the things that we think are the things we want to hide almost protect us in a way, you know? Yeah. That's really cool. That's awesome. Well, Chelsea, let me ask you the question that I always sort of wrap up with, which is if you were going to go back in time and talk to Chelsea, who felt, you know, kind of stuck in that relationship and um, was worried about alcohol and you were going to tell her about what life is like now on the other side of these changes, what would you tell her? Um, really just like you are doing the right thing and this is going to kick off huge life changes and you are definitely going to look back and be so grateful that you made these changes and took this route because you're going to be in such a better place and so are the kids <laughs> i love that so much so it's again i guess the theme of this episode is hard now easy later yes live in the easy later you're like <laughs> taken back it's, you know and then it is so true I I wonder sometimes when I'm going to learn to choose the hard now and you know I I know I do it in some areas of my life but there's so many other areas where my gut's like this is probably not the right thing but gosh it's hard to it's hard to say no so I'll yeah. just let it go and and then all of a sudden like it's hard later it's harder later so mm -hmm. very very cool I love that yeah. so much well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. And um, people may not know this, but you actually work at This Naked Mind, which has been so fun <laughs> to know you. And uh, especially this, I, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. So it's just been awesome. And yeah, how did that come about, by the way? I guess I don't even know that story, but. Um, really, since I did the experiment, I've been um, in all the groups on Facebook. <laughs> So I saw uh, the job post come across um, one of the, the groups and I was like, hey, you know what? Like I'm good at customer service and the Snake in Mind and Annie Grace are like a huge part of my life. So this would be like amazing. So um, I applied not thinking that anything would happen. And I was like over the moon when you guys reached out because it really... And that's another thing I think that kind of like um, added into my drinking was I, in the past, I've been, you know, in tough places with my job um, where I've just been unhappy. And that was another one of those, you know, it's been a hard week at work because I'm very unhappy with my job. So I'm going to come home on the weekend and drink. Yep. So, and I, I kind of realized it was like, my jobs were great, but that I wasn't passionate about those. And like this huge life change that I have, like had went through, like it made me realize how passionate I am about this and about helping people make changes in their life, you know? So it's like, 
working with this naked mind is so like amazing just because it matters so much to me. I love that. And, and so if you, if anybody emails us, it's a good chance Chelsea's responding because yeah. we get about <laughs> 9,000 emails a month. And yes, uh, yeah, there's a few of you in there who are just <laughs> angels um, because it's, it, it can't be easy. I mean, people, a lot of them is gratitude and thank you, but there's people who are really stuck too. Yeah. Desperate and reaching out and mm-hmm. um, you guys handle them with so much love and so much care and I just appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Chelsea. And we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Annie. Let me ask you a question. What is better than change? Lasting change, of course. And if you've had trouble making change stick, either with alcohol or in any other area of your life, you are in for a treat. I created the 100 Days of Lasting Change to ensure that we don't just change for a moment, but we truly transform for a lifetime. And this program is so close to my heart. Thousands of people have been through it and their results are incredible. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at thisnakedmind.com forward slash 100 days. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.